Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Guide our thoughts and our actions, that we may be friends to Jesus as he enters his passion. In his name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hi, Deacon David Kiblinger again. I hope these exercises have been fruitful for you. Thanks for joining me as we continue in this Lenten journey. We've been moving through the second week of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola for the last three talks. Now it's time to move on to themes from the third week. After hearing Jesus' call to follow him and spending so much time with him as he went around teaching and healing, we hopefully have grown close to him. We admire him. He's changed our lives and given us purpose. Our old wounds are healing as we learn to love as he did. We feel Jesus is actually our friend. And Jesus feels the same way. The title of this talk is, I Call You Friends, taken from John chapter 15, verse 15. The whole verse reads, I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my Father. Jesus has no more to teach the disciples in words. What's left is to show them by example just how far his love goes. Jesus causes quite a stir among the religious leaders at the time. They see him as a threat, someone who is leading the people away from the Jewish law. He was attracting these huge crowds and needed to be stopped before the whole religious edifice of Israel came tumbling down. Jesus himself knew that his mission would face resistance. The kingdom of God always faces resistance as it tries to enter into this world. These forces were coming to a head, and Jesus knew it was his time to leave this world and return to his Father in heaven. In the third week of the spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius wants us to be with Jesus as he goes to suffer and die. For many people, this is the most challenging part of the entire retreat. It's easy to be with Jesus in the good times. There's so many moving accounts of healing and reconciliation. I spoke of many of them in my last talk. But it is tough to be with Jesus in the hard times. We do it because Jesus is our friend. And we do it because we can still learn from Jesus. He won't speak many more words to us, but he will give us an example by his actions. Please don't worry so much about what your prayer is like this week. There can be sadness, confusion, anger, even boredom. There could be admiration, astonishment, or anxiety. Let whatever comes to you come. If you've ever spent time accompanying a dying family member, you know all of these emotions are possible. Just be a friend to Jesus, staying near him in the most difficult time of his life. For this exercise, I invite you to pray with Jesus in one of three places. The first place is around the supper table as Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The second place is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The third place is in the jail cell where he was kept overnight by the religious authorities. Please pick whichever one you feel attracted to, or you can repeat this exercise 
multiple times with each place. First, the dinner table. When I did the spiritual exercises for the first time, I remember how striking it was to realize that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas, of course, is Jesus's close friend who ends up betraying him. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. In contemplation, I watched Jesus going one by one through the line of disciples. And then the surprise hit me. Jesus slid the basin under Judas's feet and took the pitcher of water and poured it over Judas's right foot. Jesus took the towel and dried it before doing the same to Judas's left foot. What struck me most in my contemplation was that Jesus kept his head down the entire time. I didn't really understand why. I couldn't see his face. I imagined Jesus as he's often depicted with this long hair and his hair was falling down, preventing me from looking at Jesus's eyes. I tried to place myself in that situation. I figured he had to be just churning inside. He was probably furious at Judas. He probably was just holding his tongue, trying to keep all of his anger from exploding. Or at least that's what I thought. I still wasn't sure, so I asked him if I could see his face. I remember it so very clearly. I looked at him in the eyes and I saw this single tear rolling down his cheek. It hit me how wrong I was. Jesus was not angry. He wasn't having trouble holding in his rage. Rather, he was torn up inside. He was trying everything in his power to demonstrate his love for Judas, and he just couldn't reach him. It was as if he was saying, my beloved Judas, I would do anything for you, even wash your feet. I don't want you to go through with what you're doing, not for my own sake, but for your sake. This will bring you immense pain and suffering, and I just desperately don't want that for you. I don't know if that's what really was going on in Jesus's mind at the time, but for that prayer period, it was what Jesus wanted to show me. One thing I learned then was not to project my own interior life onto Jesus. I needed to let Jesus show me who he is. He also showed me his unconditional love even for a close confidant who betrays him. That makes me think, who are those people in my life who I find tough to love? How can I imitate Jesus in loving them unconditionally? Second, the Garden of Gethsemane. After supper, this is where Jesus went to pray and was arrested by the authorities. I was blessed a few summers ago to do a month-long course in Bible and archeology span in Israel. It was simply overwhelming to see the places mentioned in scripture, and it made the Bible come to life for me. One of the strongest impressions I had was from the Garden of Gethsemane. Before going, I didn't have a sense of the geography of Jerusalem. It sits on the top of a hill. On the eastern side of the hill is the Temple Mount, this large plateau where the temple was in Jesus's time. Beyond the Temple Mount, the land drops off into a valley and then rises up again to the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is right here towards the base of the Mount of Olives. 
The name Mount of Olives makes it sound like this huge mountainside, but it's really more like a steep hill. It took me less than 15 minutes to walk down it. Just past the Mount of Olives is the vast, sparsely inhabited desert. What struck me most was how easy it would have been for Jesus to just hike up the Mount of Olives and disappear into the desert. He could have been out of Jerusalem in less than half an hour. He already knew the desert well, having survived there for 40 days while being tempted after his baptism. So it would be no problem to hang out there for some time and figure out what to do next. We know that Jesus struggled mightily while praying in the garden. He pleaded, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still, not my will, but yours be done. His anxiety and stress was so extreme that he was sweating drops of blood. There's actually a rare medical condition called hematidrosis. It has been observed in other people under severe stress and fear, like soldiers about to go into battle and in people awaiting execution. The body's fight or flight response is so powerful the capillaries carrying blood to the sweat glands burst. Jesus was suffering the most extreme stress humanly possible. What's astonishing is that Jesus could have spared himself such agony by an easy 20-minute hike up a hill. He wasn't yet in the custody of Jewish authorities. No one was forcing him to face his torture. There would have been no shame in fleeing. In fact, most sane people would have considered it reasonable to get out of Jerusalem. If someone were seeking to kill you, would you not do everything in your power to avoid them? What made him remain was knowing that his death on the cross was the only way to save humanity. Why this was the only way is known only to God, but our faith tells us Jesus had to suffer and die. So Jesus decided to fight against everything in his body telling him to flee. It took immense fortitude and courage to go against his basic inclination to self-preservation. This makes me reflect on myself. Where in my life must I show the same fortitude and courage? Finally, the jail cell where Jesus was chained overnight. Scripture tells us that he was condemned by the religious authorities in the evening, but they had to wait until morning to take him before the political authorities. This meant Jesus had to spend the night in a jail cell. Scripture tells us nothing about what happened during that long, lonely night. The great thing about Ignatian prayer is that we're invited to place ourselves there with Jesus and just fill in the details that are missing. Can you imagine what Jesus would be feeling as he sat there for hours? One of his friends turned him over to be arrested. Another one denied he even knew him. Then the authorities of his own religion condemned him to death. Jesus, the devout Jewish boy who amazed the teachers of the law in the temple, now as an adult is considered a threat so dangerous he must die. The sense of betrayal had to be overwhelming. And now he has hours alone in a jail cell to process what just happened. Anything I say about what Jesus was feeling at that time is speculation coming from my own prayer. You might have a different sense of what that was like for Jesus. 
but I think he did what he was used to doing throughout his ministry. I think he prayed during that night. I'm not really sure what that conversation is about, but I do know that in all moments, Jesus remains in intimate contact with the Father. That intimate contact surely calmed Jesus and reassured him. It allowed him to absorb those terrible blows of rejection from his friends and his religion. I imagine him thanking his father for being able to persevere up to that point and drawing strength for that terrible day ahead. What about you? If you sit in the jail cell with Jesus, what do you do? Do you say anything to him? Or do you simply sit there, making sure he knows you support him as a friend? Jesus has told us all we need to know. What's left is for him to show us what it means to live with unconditional love, with fortitude, with patience. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.